Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. you guys ever feel the need to prove yourself? Um, it's a question that I ask because I definitely feel the need to prove myself in a lot of different ways very often, more often than I would like to admit. Um, and honestly, I was sitting here this entire past week thinking of uh, a different intro or a story to share with you kind of about proving yourself and I was kind of close to sharing something about uh, a kickball thing that happened in fifth grade, which is typically when everything gets awkward and goes downhill. But I had the thought of, man, I'm trying to find a story that I think y'all are going to think is funny, is going to hook you, and I feel like I've got to prove myself and that I'm worth listening. I've even thought with the sermon that I'm building, the thought went through my head of, man, I feel like I've got to prove to my team and the people that I disciple that I know how to handle this massive chunk of scripture that we just had read over us. And that kept going through my mind over and over and over again. And I realized it's kind of funny. And I think there's a reality there that you could probably all agree with that we have this hardwired, just craving, desperate need for approval, each one of us, right? And we chase after it. We chase after approval. We do everything that we can to earn it from someone or something. It's just something that we all do. It's inherent within us, which means that the approval or the disapproval of those who have influence in our lives can either make or break us. And so we fear disapproval. We are terrified at the, the idea that someone that we love or admire or look up to or want to be like might not actually like, love, or accept or approve of us. And therefore, we have a tendency to live people-pleasing lives. And we find ourselves bending or compromising both our priorities, our personalities, our principles, just to win the favor over someone that we admire. And this thing happens where insecurity and maybe even a certain level of anxiety begin to foster within us. And I think that we can all nod our head and agree with the fact that all of that, the insecurity of just people-pleasing, can be exhaustive and it can be draining, right? So what we're going to be tackling today is this idea that we have a source for our intrinsic need of approval that is both full and free, and that rather than working to earn this approval, it is actually graciously offered and graciously given to us. And that's where we're going today, and that's what we're going to unpack. But as you could tell by today, there was a long passage, and there's a lot to unpack there. And first, we've got to get to know this guy named Paul. Paul is dead. Paul wrote the book of Galatians that we're reading. Um, Paul was an apostle. He had this crazy encounter with Jesus that we're going to talk about. He wrote essentially almost all of the New Testament that you see in your Bible. Um, And he wrote this entire book of Galatians. And he wrote it um, in response to them to remind them of everything that he had told them and first preached to them when he had visited them on one of his missionary journeys. Paul was a first century Jew. He was one of the religious elite known as Pharisees which you may or may not have heard before, but basically they were the Jews that knew everything there was to know about God and their scripture. And he 
he basically, my notes just went away from me, so sorry, I'm stuttering right now. Um, Paul went around, and he was this religious elite guy, and the Jewish people at the time, let's start here, because this is actually important to know. Jewish people at the time, also known as Israelites, were God's chosen people, and their entire identity was set around the fact that they were the descendants and the offspring and the family of this guy named Abraham. And Abraham was someone that we get introduced to all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. And basically, God devotes himself to Abraham, chooses Abraham, says, hey, through you and your family, I'm going to bless the entire world. And then one day, I'm going to give you a king to be the nation over all of your people. And I'm going to bless the world through them, and I'm going to establish a kingdom and all this kind of stuff. And so the people of Israel are just devoted to this covenant relationship with God. And they look forward, a lot of their history is looking forward to the day that this king will come. And long story short, Paul, um, whose name was also Saul, which kind of throws people for a loop. It's like when people find out that my name is actually Eric and not Nathan. Um, Paul, yep, surprises you. A lot of Jews start hearing uh, that rumors, these rumors that are going around, that this guy named Jesus got nailed to a cross and then rose from the grave and is the one promised true king of Israel. And a lot of the Jewish people at the time either believe it and they start following the way of Jesus, or they don't believe it. And Paul, or Saul, was one of the people who didn't buy it and didn't believe it. Again, he was a part of the religious elite of the sect of Judaism, and he was actually a part of the group that oppressed the movement of Jesus and oppressed it pretty aggressively. In the book of Acts, which is the first book in the, in the New, or after the Gospels, right after Luke, um, it's kind of like Luke part two, Acts chapter 8 verse 3 says that he was actually going everywhere to destroy the church. Paul was. And he went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. The guy was pretty cruel. He was finding and arresting followers of Jesus. He was separating families. He was murdering and having people executed. Pretty, pretty gnarly, gnarly stuff. His entire life's mission was to destroy the mission uh, and movement of Jesus. And to be fair, and to cut him just a little bit of a slack, and to give you more of his context and his story, I think Paul um, and Saul, Paul or Saul, genuinely believed that this was a dangerous thing, that the movement of Jesus was a dangerous thing, and he didn't think he was doing anything wrong. Because Israel's history up to this point is them constantly forgetting that God has showed up in their lives, has promised them certain things, and so they are constantly forget that, and they turn to false gods, they turn to false idols, false prophets, and Paul is just thinking, this guy named Jesus is just another one of those. And in the past, all that that has ever led to for the people of Israel, whenever they deviate and go the wrong direction, is just pure disaster. They get met with destruction, and then they return to the Lord, then they forget again, and then there's more destruction, and so he's just like, this is going to be that on repeat. And so I think he believed that these rumors and this falling was actually a dangerous, very slippery slope for the Jewish people to go down. And therefore, he believed that he was actually protecting the people of Israel and protecting the name of God by getting rid of all these people that he believed to be a false, uh, following a false prophet by the name of Jesus, until he actually met Jesus himself. Paul was on his way, and this is more story for you. A lot of today is story. Paul was on his way to this town called Damascus from Jerusalem. And he was on his way there to go snuff out more followers of Jesus to throw them in prison, murder them, execute them, do his, his thing. When all of a sudden he's encountered with the risen Jesus. He's just walking along the road and then boom, out of nowhere, there's this bright light. Paul goes blind. He's terrified. It's a wild story of Paul's encounter with the risen Jesus. 
And in Acts chapter 9, which is where this is going down, it says that he was literally still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord when this happened. So he's just walking along the road of like, I'm going to kill these guys, or I'm going to snuff them out, and then boom, Jesus shows up in his life. And then Jesus graciously, again, Paul is terrified, says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you attacking me? I am the fulfillment of the law that you love. I am alive. I have actually risen from the grave, and I am establishing a kingdom. Go start preaching the true good news that I have risen from the grave and am the promised king of Israel. I am the Messiah. And so Paul ends up walking into Damascus after that encounter. Um, A couple other stuff happens, but he walks into Damascus to this place where he was initially going to go destroy the church some more. And instead, he's then preaching the gospel and preaching the good news that Jesus is the way. He is the one true God in the flesh. He died and rose again. And his entire passion, all of his zealousness, all of his zeal, got completely redirected. And I want you to hear all of this, and I think it's important to spend this much time unpacking Paul's story for a couple reasons. A, I just want you to get to know who Paul is, because again, he wrote most of the New Testament. And then B, this context of his story is going to help us highlight a couple things that are made clear in the passage that we just had read over us early. And a quick note on this passage, it is a lot. And if you want to just make a little note in the margin of your Bibles, all uh, of everything that Paul is doing in that passage and the reason he's telling the story is in defense of the gospel of God, God's gospel, and himself as a messenger of it. And it's pivotal for understanding what we're going to unpack next week and the next part of Galatians starting in verse 11. Um, very pivotal. But for now, let's just take note of a couple things. Let's read chapter 1, verse 10 uh, one more time just to refresh our brains. Paul says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, after reading a verse like this, it becomes obvious that Paul is suggesting that seeking the approval of man and seeking the approval of God, being a servant of God, are two totally incompatible things. And so if you're reading this and you're looking at it, it seems very obvious um, that if Paul's goal was admiration of men, he would still be a Pharisee because we see in his story that he was one of the, the best Pharisees there was. But he, his entire goal is now to please Christ. And so we then think, okay, well, that means don't please man, please God. Easy enough. Check. I know what this passage means. And so that's the natural thing, except it's not easy enough because we are fallen, broken people with sin in our heart. And so the easy part is actually misinterpreting how we play this out. Um, And that's the first thing that I want to take note of, that when we are trying to seek the approval of God, which seems like something we ought to do, we can absolutely do it the wrong way. We can seek the approval of God and do it the wrong way and completely miss the point. And here's what I mean by that. Look at chapter two, verses three through five with me. It says, but even Titus, who is with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. In these verses, we see this group of people called the false brothers, Um, who were secretly brought in and who want this guy named Titus to be circumcised. Um, 
which is how first century Jews signified that they belonged to the family of Abraham and that they were offspring and that they were true Jewish people. They would get circumcised. Weird tradition and ritual, but that's what they did. And for generation after generation, that was how you did things as a Jew who sought to honor the Lord. And so I think these people, even though they're painted in a negative light, these false brothers, I think they believed that they were doing the right thing here. I don't think that they had any malicious intent or any malicious motive in telling Titus that he needed to be circumcised. All I think that they were doing is that they were just simply trying to honor the Lord the way that they knew how and the way that they had always been told to do for generation after generation. And so I think they had the right motive, but they were missing the point and had the wrong application of what they were supposed to do with that motive. How do we honor the Lord? We want to seek the approval of God but they're doing it just slightly off and missing the point. And that's the misstep that Paul calls out in them. And I think that's where our misstep is too. Look in verse 13 of chapter one. He says, for you have heard of my former life, Paul's former life in Judaism that I just unpacked for you, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. And so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. Paul is essentially saying here, setting up for them, guys, I get it. 14 years ago, I would have wanted the same thing because I was so zealous for the traditions of my father. That was how we sought approval with God. I get it. I cared intensely about keeping those religious traditions because I cared about honoring the Lord. But then he meets Jesus. And what he's explaining here and what I want to highlight is I, I think where himself and this group of religious elite often went wrong was that in keeping these traditions, they would either A, begin to believe that their performance of that tradition was what earned them approval of God and by proving themselves that they were righteous and worthy enough, or B, they would start to showcase their religion not out of a reverence of the Lord, but out of, man, look at the approval that I'm going to get from everyone else around me that thinks I'm one of the religious elite. Look at all the status that I'm going to earn in the eyes of everyone else around me. And I think either one of those two things happened, or they probably both happened simultaneously, which I wouldn't put past them because I wouldn't put it past us. I think it is so, so easy in the Christian life and in the Christian circle and whenever we are consumed with, I want to live a life set apart and I want to live a life honoring to the Lord. I think it is so, so easy to believe that the cleaner your life looks is a direct correlation to the more God will approve of you. I think it is so, so easy to believe that how often you do your quiet time or how often you pray or how often you say no to a drink at a party, and how often you do all of those things in front of other people so that they will see, is the moment that you miss the point when you believe that doing all of that is going to earn you something with God or earn you something in the eyes of other people and is directly correlated to God's pleasure in you. And the moment you believe that is the moment that you're missing the point because the moment that you don't do those things or the moment that you slip up and you take that drink or you don't do your quiet time or whatever it is, is the moment that you fall into a shame-filled narrative that God is disappointed in you and disapproves of you, which is not his heart and which is completely omitting and disregarding the grace and the work of Jesus on the cross. In verse 15, Paul reminds us that when his life was interrupted by grace, when he had a personal encounter with the risen Jesus, everything changed. He said, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might go preach him to other people. You see, before this, he had zeal. He had passion. He was zealous for the traditions of his fathers, but he was missing Jesus. 
He was walking the walk, talking the talk. He had scripture memorized better than anybody. He was living a moral, righteous life that looked good to everybody else about him. He was a great example, but he was missing Jesus and therefore missing the point. And I say all that, but I want to be sensitive to a couple things that I don't want you to hear. I don't want you to hear that you don't need to have a daily intake of scripture and have a quiet time. I don't want you to hear that you don't need and shouldn't have to feel the need to live a life honoring to the Lord. I don't want you to hear that God is opposed to a life of obedience and your personal pursuit of holiness because he absolutely does call us to a life of obedience and to a pursuit of holiness. And in Christ, he's equipped you with his spirit in order to do so. And that might actually mean that you do say no to that drink at your next darty, right? And I don't want you to hear that a theology of grace or learn or misbelieve the theology of grace in a way that gives you license to be lazy in your relationship with the Lord or license to continue in your sin because you should absolutely walk in the newness of life that Christ purchased for you with his death and resurrection and show fruit in your life as a response. Those are the things that I don't want you to hear. And what I do want you to hear is this. I do want you to hear, to hear that God isn't opposed to your effort. He's opposed to your earning. God isn't opposed to effort. He's opposed to earning. I do want you to hear that in Christ, you don't earn God's acceptance. In Christ, you receive God's acceptance and approval which is exactly what Paul reminds us of in chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. He's saying, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. I didn't receive it from man. I wasn't taught it by man. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's not man's gospel because it doesn't make sense to us, right? We would never come up with it because it doesn't work the way that we do. If it works the way that we do, we would earn approval with God by working our way up his ladder and, um, and making ourselves righteous enough and morally good enough and all of those things, right? But God reminds us that he doesn't work that way, and it's very counterintuitive to the world that we live in. In the world, you do have to prove yourself. You do have to earn the approval of others, and others will approve or disapprove of you based on their fickle perception of you and what you can do for them or can't do for them. And God is not that way. One of my favorite passages is in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. And he does that in light of saying, I forgive and have compassion on the unrighteous. I forgive the undeserving. I don't judge you the way you would judge you. I, if you're undeserving of something, the way we typically react is we don't give you whatever you're not deserving of, right? But God doesn't do that. He gives you what you totally don't deserve, and that's life and relationship with him. And what makes all the difference is Jesus. Your obedience doesn't win your right to be called son or daughter by the God of the universe because Jesus' obedience on the cross sealed that adoption for you. Your obedience is now simply response in love as a way to say, Father, I am yours and I'm committed to you. Now, all of that, all of that is in light of, like I said, seeking the approval of God and doing it in the wrong way and missing the point about how some of us might be trying to do, might be trying to go to the right source of our approval, but just simply going about it the wrong way. But I believe that there's some of us in here, and I have been guilty of it, that we are just simply looking to the wrong source for our approval. And we might not even recognize our need to go to that source in the first place. Let's look at chapter two, verse six. Jumping all over. And it says, 
from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God doesn't show partiality, but those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. Paul right here is saying that those who seem influential in your life or those who you adore or worship or who you think can add some sort of approval to the approval that your heart longs for and desperately craves will ultimately prove to come up short and leave you empty. Or in Paul's language, it will add nothing to you and leave you empty. And what scripture is so kind to reveal to us is that anything, literally anything other than Jesus that we seek to find approval, acceptance, or validation from will ultimately come up short and leave us empty because we are asking whatever it is or whoever it is to do something that they are not designed to do, to give, or provide. The entire book of Ecclesiastes, it's this book kind of halfway through your Bible, is this book about one man's desperate search for meaning and purpose. And he chases after approval. He chases after pleasure. He chases after wealth. He chases after literally everything in his language under the sun and comes up short every single time because he's looking for those sources to give and do something for him that they were not designed to give. And I think we often fall short of that specifically when I was thinking through it, through this in relationships, thinking of my relationship with my wife and when I was dating her and even with certain friendships in my life, it's easy to fall under the illusion that any one person or our soulmate or whatever can fill the gap in our heart, can heal all the broken parts of us and can, can validate everything that we, we need from them. And that is just way too much to put on any one person because they're not designed to do that. And here's Here's the reality. You're going to serve and you're going to try and find that from anyone that you adore more than God, anyone that you worship and has influence over your life. And if we are constantly striving to accrue that favor from them and accrue that validation and that worth and that approval, and we're trying to find that from someone or something from the world around us and doing what they think we should do or being what they are telling us to be, then we will find it all leads to exhaustion and an emptiness every single time. Another man eloquently put it this way, and I want to share this with you. He says that you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. We can search for a source to validate us. We can search for uh, a source of approval, and we can search for it in literally anything around us. And, and you might find it, but your heart is always going to be restless and come up empty unless it's found in the Lord, which was who was designed to be your source of approval. John 10.10 10 is a verse that you hear in our, this room constantly and from us in this ministry a lot. And it says that the thief comes to steal from your life and destroy your life, but Christ came so that you may have life and life to the full. In Christ, the longings of your heart are satisfied. In Christ, you receive ultimate approval and fulfillment. And in Christ, you receive life abundant more full than you could ever imagine or dream. And in Christ, your ultimate source of approval and acceptance is found and your heart finds rest. Now, I can, I can imagine that some of you in this room right now are in the same boat that I used to be in before I met Jesus. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm not worthy of that source. I don't know the things that you've done. I don't know the weight of the shame that you're carrying. I don't know the guilt that is constantly bogging you down and that you might be experiencing. But when I look back on my story and when I look on back on 
on how I had an encounter with Jesus. And when I look back at Paul's story and the entire narrative of scripture and all the stories of my friends who are following Jesus around me, it becomes clear to me that the God I have a relationship with loves to save and rescue those who are seemingly beyond hope and beyond need. It is clear to me that despite my sin, the God that I have a relationship with loves me and calls me his son. And a mentor once put it for me this way. He said, the gospel is this. He said, we are more sinful and flawed in and of ourselves than we could ever dare imagine. And yet at the very same time, in Christ, we are more loved and accepted than we could ever dare dream. And I think that is so true. And I get to live in that reality, in that tension, in that gospel, in that truth, because my life was interrupted by Jesus and interrupted by his grace, who said, my grace is sufficient for you despite the things that you've done. My grace is sufficient for you despite how broken you feel, despite the shame, the guilt that you're carrying around. My grace is sufficient for you. And I know and I believe with everything in me that his grace is sufficient for you as well. And so my prayer is that you let him interrupt your life if that's you. But here's where I kind of want to start leaving us today. Entire massive passage of scripture, 34 something verses. There's a lot here, um, but it highlights the, what we started with, right? The, the need for approval is deeply wired into us. And yet the gospel has the power to calm the quest for this need and in, God, in the gospel, we are given the full and free approval of God in Christ Jesus. And so I just simply want you to consider two questions that are highlighted here. And that is the theme of this passage. The first question is, are you trying to earn, specifically earn your approval from God? Give your life an honest check. Are you doing the things that you're doing? Are you having your quiet times and studying the word and doing it all out of a belief and performing for God out of belief that it's going to earn you something from him? out of a belief that it's going to earn you status in his eyes? Are you doing it just to earn his love? Because if so, I think we're missing it. Are you doing it to prove yourself and prove your worthiness to earn his love? That's question number one. But question number two is what is your source of approval? And just do an honest intake of what am I running to to validate myself? What am I running to to set my identity in? What is, am I looking to as my source of approval? And for both of those the application, I believe, is the same. When you do that honest check and you do that search, remember and rest in the work of Jesus. He accomplished what you could never accomplish. He purchased what you could never earn for you and on your behalf. And I believe that when we recognize that and we recognize that Jesus is the ultimate source of our approval and more so that he purchased it on a cross for us and sealed it with his resurrection, then I believe everything will change for you. We are no longer anxious when that happens. We are no longer insecure when that happens. We no longer worry about what our reputation is. We no longer seek to please others or perform for others, but our identity is secure and our efforts shift from pleasing those around us to pleasing our Lord and pleasing Christ. Our motive moves from self-promotion and self-preservation to making much of Christ in our lives. And look at the result at what can happen whenever that does. Paul, again, is this guy who is violently destroying the church, murdering people, putting people in prison, and then he shows up in Damascus where people are expecting him to do more of that. And then in verse 24, people are confused of chapter one. Verse 23, they say, they were only hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he wants to destroy. Because he had an encounter with Jesus, his life dramatically changed. His 
his passion, his zeal dramatically changed. And verse 24 says that people glorified God because of it. And I think that's what will happen when, like Paul, we know our approval is set as servants of Christ. Christ gets magnified in those moments. Christ gets magnified when we make much of him with our lives and when we seek to, to serve him. And remember, it's not about us anymore and that our approval is set in him. And so that's my hope for each of you. That's the theme that I think we see here. Um, and that's my, my prayer for you. So I'm going to pray. We're going to get back into worship. Um, Father, Father, we love you. We love you because you have given us your, your son, Father, to die the death that we deserved, that we could, we could know you and live life forever with you. Um, Father, we love you because you take us, you, you accept us as you find us, Lord, and you call us to something better, and that your grace is what changes us and has the power to change us, Father. We love you. Um, we love you because you love us despite us and our sin and our brokenness and our shame. And, and Father, we, we love you because you restore those things. You restore the brokenness in our lives. You, just, you restore the woundedness that we feel. You restore our, uh, our need for approval. And, and Father, we can find that in you. And so, Father, I just pray that throughout this week and throughout the rest of, the, of this day, Lord, that you just constantly remind us of that that our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Father, we love you, we need you, and we trust you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.